So, Lucy, how's the book going? It's actually going. Yay! <laughs> well, I um, I decided, I guess, kind of the trajectory, or at least the beginning of it, and I've started outlining it. So it's, it's yeah, it's kind of going. <laughs> That's awesome. I think before we, like, I want to know a lot more about your outlining process. I'm actually really interested in what kind of outlines you're doing these days because we I don't know like we've talked about outlines so many times throughout our life and I'm really excited for this topic but first um maybe like a little check-in in our lives obviously yeah. we like everybody else we're doing shelter in place stuff and we're not mm-hmm. um hanging out with each other and it's really sad <laughs> yeah it's um we're recording this on May 6th Yes. Um, which I say because this these will probably go up a little late. Um, yeah. Because as of recording this, we don't yet have a official channel for this. It's gone up on our on the Patreon for our other podcasts, Clampcast and Wonderland. Like the first episode went up there, but um, we haven't quite you know figured out the official channel for this yet. So I'm not quite sure when you will get this episode, <laughs> dear listener. But currently, we are experiencing. May 6, 2020, mid-shelter-in-place, <laughs> pandemic, quarantine life. Well, isolation life. Yeah. It's not technically quarantine unless you have the thing. But yeah, it's a time. It's definitely a time. I don't know. I am I feel like I've been saying I'm almost done with my book all year. It's like five months later, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm almost done with my book. But like this time, no for sure, really. Um, my graphic novel is so close to done. We're on like the last couple rounds of edits. Like... The art is all done. There's even a version of the cover that's in. Like, oh, we're so close. And I'm just waiting to hear back from my editors and my art director. And then I'm going to do that one last feverish reread and tweak and make sure I love <laughs> everything and that there's not a single panel left that is making me go, ooh. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great. It's great to have something like that to focus on because everything else is so weird and so off and so wrong. It's good to have like that. But I know I'm about to lose that. And so my <laughs> hope, my hope is that this other novel that I'm working on will be one of the things that can absorb all my energy once I have it. I also have picture book manuscripts if my agent is listening to this so that she doesn't um, (laughs) drop kick me off a cliff. I am also working really hard on picture book manuscripts right now, too. But I definitely need different things to exercise different parts of my brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, hopefully. I'm kind of similarly as far as the, like, distraction thing because right now i'm in the midst of spring term of of college which is all being done from home and it's a little hard to figure out scheduling and wrapping my brain around and stuff but overall is working um but i will also not have anything in summer um so in a couple months and um i'm looking forward to you know this writing process also kind of being a good distraction um there's a lot of other things i need to get done during that time but i like the idea of kind of having something i know i need to be working on yeah that we can kind of build a schedule around writing every day even Mm -hmm. when there are other things that used to be taking up that time that are just not on the plate anymore yeah yeah and i would um we've talked a little bit about maybe doing like twitter writing dates or something yeah i'd love to do that to have everybody write along with us like that would be Mm -hmm. great 
I, I know that those help me, even though they also, they often feel like pulling teeth. Like I don't want to do them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always excited ahead of time. I'm like, yes, this is great. And then it's time to do it. And I'm like, no, I want to play Animal Crossing or <laughs> anything but right. I just hate everything. And then I sit and do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that I spent those like 45 minutes just focusing and writing and not thinking about yeah. anything else. Like it's, it can be so hard to get into that state, but just the practice of doing it is so helpful. Yeah, I, I usually get my write, best writing done at cafes, which is also going to be interesting because oh. I can't go to any cafes. Oh. But I shouldn't be paying for them anyway because I'm now a broke college student, so it's all for the best. <laughs> but my, but I usually write best like in a cafe with a couple other people doing like timed writing sessions where we're like, okay, I'm setting a 40-minute timer. We're going to just write, and then after that, we'll take a break and chat and, and then get drinks and you know refresh our beverages um and i picked up that habit from like some nanorimo write-ins i did with some of our friends actually i don't know like seven years ago in my like in my old house yeah <laughs> um, we used to have like writing groups and stuff so yeah that, i've found that that works really well for me i like the the like white noise of a cafe boy i cannot um, write outside of my own home I can't I do know, it yeah. it's so distracting <laughs> for me i'm just like oh no i, I can't focus um, but even in my house, like, I know that for me, it has to feel like a writing space. And I, I hate putting on headphones. Like, I hate it. It hurts my ears. But I mm -hmm. definitely have to accept that nothing helps me distance myself from the house or whatever space I'm in, like putting on headphones and having some sort of music in the background. Um, even though music can be really distracting, if I have stuff that becomes like, I've listened to it so many times, and it's it's a playlist I put together particularly for the story. Like, that can become this almost, like, meditative thing and helps mm. me be in that space. Um, it's a great way for me to just block everything out. And, like, I think Lucy knows this. Like, I just really hate headphones. Like, I just do yeah, not like them. Like <laughs> yeah, but this, like, I have to accept that this really helps me. Um, and mm -hmm. I live with two other people, which is a total blessing right now because it means that none of us are experiencing too much um, just just like depression from isolation because we're, we're here with each other. It's great. But it also yeah. means that we're never away from each other. And yeah. <laughs> so finding and like, technically there are three rooms we can close the door and be alone in, but one of those is the bathroom. And that is not an <laughs> ideal office space. Although I think all three of us sometimes do use it as our office space. <laughs> so we're I trying mean, to find there. ways around that. <laughs> You could technically, like, there are enough rooms in your house that, like, there could be one of you in each room with a door closed, so, without the bathroom, like, if you have someone in the room. Well, bedroom. if someone's in the so. living room, if someone's in the living room, then they're still in the room that everyone travels through to come mm -hmm. in and out. That That's yeah. all I mean by that. We're like, that's, that's not true. a really They're still in, like, the a common in. area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all common, but, like, they're still in the, the main hubbub yes. that people will emerge into. That's true. But often the three of us do all work together in that room. Um, mm -hmm. it's which is also really nice. It's cute yeah. though because Nate, when he's writing these days, he tends to take my spot on the couch <laughs> instead Aww. of his chair. He like he's like, oh, I just write better in your spot. And I'm like, well, <laughs> thanks, but that's my <laughs> spot. <laughs> it might be the like change of location. Thing. It does. It does help um, him. I think. I've I've been doing that for my schoolwork. I've been fortunately my house has a basement, which I'm very lucky for right now, um, because I it means I can be. I love my basement too. Um, I can be doing all of my studying down there. And so that has become kind of like my study area and I can get out of my roommate's hair. Um, although she works still like she, she works um, 
retirement home. So she still does have a physical job to go to. So I'm not in her way too much. But <laughs> but it's nice to have like a, a separate spot to go that is the uh, that is like study time. Yes. Um, so that we'll compartmentalization see. is so important. Yeah. And I usually end up writing on my iPad, um, whereas I do my other studying usually on, um, well, like essays and stuff I'll write on like my laptop um, or my desktop. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to shake out in this new world because usually I take my iPad to a cafe and write. But um, obviously that won't be happening. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting thing for you to explore and for us to talk about later is like, what creative mm -hmm. new places are we writing? <laughs> Yeah, it's probably just going to be at my main desk because that's kind of become where I do like work that is not schoolwork. Like that's what I, where I'm doing this right now, and <laughs> that's where I do like our um, our Patreon stuff and like I administrative don't know, work to make graphics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if that becomes writing spot or if I just like I could just take my iPad into the basement. Like we have a couch down there too, and make like that part of the writing area? I don't know. Oh, that could be good. You know what's weird? Mm -hmm. You're talking about this and I just realized as as I am in my my office, which is where I do all of my like comic art and illustration work, um, mm -hmm. boy, I never write in here. I cannot oh, write in here. Yeah, yeah, even though... it's where your work is. <laughs> yeah, it's where my other work is. It's where my, my visual work is and it's really yeah. set up for that. Um, I think some of it is also just that I'm so used to sitting... Um, in front of my Cintiq, which is not where my keyboard is. Mm. And so, like, my yeah. brain just can't comprehend that I'm going to spend hours sitting in front of the keyboard monitor. <laughs> like, oh, that's yeah. so weird. Well, plus, I bet it's a nice break to go right in, like, a different room and get it away sure from the other is. area. It sure <laughs> is. Because this can feel... Like, sometimes working in my office feels like an escape into just, like, the world of images. Like, it, it just... It can be this incredibly joyous thing and sometimes it feels like pulling teeth and i hate mm -hmm. it <laughs> yeah. yeah so it can true. help to again that, that compartmentalization of making sure that you're using different spaces to kind of like trick your brain into being in different spaces mentally yeah i think that the, what you said about the pulling teeth i think that's one thing that like i don't know sort of separates writing more seriously for like to finish a thing and have it be a profession as opposed to just writing for fun is that sometimes well, even if you're writing for fun i guess I, even if i mean even if that writing that you're doing isn't like for a professional publication like if you're writing fan fiction very seriously like um it's that difference of writing when you don't feel super inspired but you do need to get through the scene to get to the next scene yeah um and then and just accepting that oh maybe this scene will suck and i'll have to come back later and fix it when i'm in a better mood or maybe i'll like this scene later when i come back and read it even though i don't feel it now and sometimes you just have to push through and write things that you know you're gonna delete but you need to get some version of the scene out in order to move on. Yeah, boy, that whole concept is something that is such anathema to perfectionism. And, mm -hmm. and of course, perfectionism is anathema to getting things done. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. one of the most important things you can do to get things done is to remind yourself that, yeah, this can suck right now, because I'm writing the first version of something that I'm going to edit. You know, like, again, the process of writing is rewriting, is, is this, you know canard mm -hmm. that we come back to again and again in writing you're like well but it is though like you literally are going to have to come back and edit things and man mm -hmm. when you nail something on the first try it's a really good feeling but it's not a feeling that you should seek to the detriment of everything else right like <laughs> yeah. if, if you didn't nail it on the first try it doesn't mean you're not a genius it just means that you're a writer and it's normal 
Yeah, yeah, like that's the process. And I mean, I'm totally a perfectionist in most cases. And I am like when it comes to, you know, finalizing writing. But um, I, I think definitely just the years of doing NaNoWriMo and like we've talked about like writing classes and stuff um, have have kind of taught me that like that that first draft needs to be rough and messy and you just need to get through it in order to make it better. You can't, and well, at least I can't just agonize over one paragraph forever because I'll never finish anything that way. Yeah. I think that it's even less of a role and more of a, Hey, if you have problems finishing things, see if this is one of, see if this is a tool that you could use to get through it. Like if your problem with finishing things is that it's never good enough and you stop on a paragraph because you can't get it perfect. That is a great indication that you need to get good at this this moving on thing that we're describing, where you're like, let it suck, move on and write <laughs> the next part, and then go back and fix it when your brain will let you. Because otherwise, it's kind of stealing from yourself. Yeah, like I, I kind of have a saying that starting is easy, it's finishing a hard, is, that's hard in a story, because like, it's easy to jump into a scene that's in your head and write it, but it's harder to get like to connect to that scene to the next scene and to the next scene and like write through the stuff you don't care about as much and keep it interesting and and then get to the actual end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because I think uh, my, my partner Nate who steals my spot to write in, um mm. he almost has the opposite where for him it's getting started is so impossible, but once he's mm-hmm. in it, he's fine. Like he he's really good at connecting scenes and he's really good at ending things, which he didn't know because he'd never finished a novel until like last year. And it was a really big deal. But it just he turned it turns out that like he had no problem actually doing it. It's getting started and sticking with a beginning that is a hard thing for him. Yeah, my saying does kind of ignore the whole like actually sit boot, you know, sit button chair, do the thing is still very, very difficult. (laughs) But also the perfectionism that goes into accepting that this beginning is the beginning you're sticking with. Like he literally, he doesn't just have a problem with button seat. He has a problem with like literally beginning a scene. Mm. Like it's actually just starting things is really hard for him. It is really hard sometimes to figure out where a story should start too. Yes. Like even if you have actually I think especially if you have a more fuller view of it in mind, it's harder to then narrow in and be like, okay, but where literally does the story begin? Whereas if you're just being like, oh I've got a scene in my head, I want to write it, that's not necessarily the beginning. Yeah, it's just your beginning. It's your entryway into the story. Yeah. So speaking of things that help you get through a story, Lucy, talk to me <laughs> about outlining, because you said that that's what you've been working on. Yeah, I used to not really outline. I used to be kind of like in NanoSpeak, there's like pantsing and um, plotting, which are writing by the sea of your pants is pantsing and plotting is, you know, outlining beforehand where you've got the plot um, all the way out. And I used to kind of be a solid pantser where I would just sort of jump in and go. But I was kind of that way before I'd finished anything. Mm-hmm. And then once I'd finished things, I kind of realized that, well, I started doing more outlining like, when I was revising, I found that really helpful. And then as I've gotten older, I get—I don't know if it's an age-related thing, more experience, I guess, um, just for how like I write. Because this is you know totally subjective. Like it, It's different for everybody. Yeah, but this is I just a tool for someone really... to try out for themselves if they're having problems. And if you're not having yeah. problems, obviously, this is just interesting to know. Yeah, all of this process is just kind of figuring out what works for you and that might change throughout your writing life as with anything in life really like you might find 10 years later like different practices help you get things done uh but yeah so i found that 
having at least a small outline really helps. And there's one I use that's kind of based off of like the very like TV writing, like A plot, B plot, C plot type thing you'll see in like Star Trek is what comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll always have the big bridge plot and then you'll have like Data and Jordy plot and then you'll have like the Wesley plot or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes, you know, obviously it shifts who's in what, you know, plot or which plot is the big yeah. one. But um, I kind of think of that where it's sort of like different plot lines, although sometimes they don't have different weights. Uh, so I'll have like, uh, we've talked before about writing from different character perspectives. I'll frequently do like two alternating perspectives. Like one of my big stories that is kind of codenamed Ghost Boyfriend Story. So if I bring it up later, you'll know what I'm talking about. Has like two main characters and then kind of a bigger plot line. So my my kind of like outline for that was I had I had like Morgan's column and Vess's column and then another column. And then I would just write like the plot beats in each of their um like the story from their perspective like the big things that were happening in their lives in the course of the story and like so I kind of knew what beats I was gonna hit and then whenever I'd get stuck writing I would just switch to a different character's column and write like the next thing or move towards the next thing yeah I think a lot of the time when we get stuck it's because we need to transition more Mm -hmm. abruptly than we think we do yeah, it's I do a, a great lot way of, to deal um, with being stuck <laughs> is to get out of that yeah. scene. Get out of there. It's done. The scene is done. That's why you that's why you can't figure out what to write next. The scene is over. Yeah, or even like you need a break. You and the the reader need a break from the scene and then you get to come back or whatever because you you've hit like a um like a climactic moment or something and you need to take a step back, breathe a little, uh, develop another area and then hit us with what's going on and we'll have more context cuz we'll be able to absorb it more. There's like a little graph that kind of will go around that you see that's like a plot up and down where it's like a, um, you know, it's basically rising action the whole time, but you'll it, it's not like a straight line. It's kind of up and down, up and down, up and down, because you need these little less tense moments for the reader to breathe and to kind of um, reevaluate what's going on and think about the things and... and to absorb. Uh, and yeah, react. to absorb. Yeah. So now when I, I'm outlining... I'm kind of just doing it, it's almost more like bullet points, where I just am kind of like writing, little, I guess more like paragraphs, like a little paragraph that is each thing as it kind of happens, and it doesn't have to, it's not, you know, every single scene, but it's like the big things that I know are going to happen. Um, the problem I'm having is like, so I'm writing this story that began as a short story, so I've figured out, it's got two different main characters, so I've figured out what happened to the other main character during the course of that short story, but Ooh. I'm not quite sure what to do after that that story ended because it had a beginning, middle, and end, and it wasn't you know it, it left it open for more places to go. But I'm kind of having trouble taking this what was a complete little story and then expanding on what what happens next, as in because it's like got this this built-in pacing already. I'm kind of having trouble like stretching that pacing out. Yeah, but again, now that you are thinking so much about the other character's perspective, it's kind of helping you see a larger <laughs> story emerge, right? Yeah, yeah, that's helping a lot. Like, I know what's going on in her life and, and kind of what's building that up. And I'm having trouble working towards what's going to be, like, the main conflict in the actual story. Like, this is just kind of how I, I go. I'm I write a lot. Or I focus a lot on like character and emotional beats, and I'm pretty good at that. And I know kind of how that is gonna go, but then I have a lot more trouble figuring out the like actual plotty action of a story. Yeah, 
I think that you always come to it, though. And I think that yeah. because you you know you're writing character-driven fiction, like you're you're trying mm-hmm. to write character-driven fiction. So the fact that you spend a lot of time on the characters means that you let you sort of let the very grounded sense of what's happening in their lives inform what the conflict mm-hmm. is and how and let it kind of come from there. Yeah, which is a thing I've been I think I've gotten better over the years of figuring out what that conflict is, like kinda as I'm writing and as the characters develop through the story and stuff whereas i used to be a lot worse at uh having anything conflict happen to the characters they would just kind of exist in this amorphous world where nothing was changing yeah (laughs) you got really good at the craft of writing but the craft of storytelling and plotting was definitely not the main thing you were focused on back then (laughs) yeah i'm just way more character focused even when i've written plottier things like the last thing i wrote was tip it was intentionally plotty focused and i wrote a big outline for that that was just lots of actiony beats and then i had to like get the character interaction in there somehow yeah i hope that helped a little bit because when you have those very action-based plot points you realize they're not that different from more Mm -hmm. character interaction and character growth based plot points it's just that you have to view this character comes to a realization is you're like, okay, well, how does that happen? Like, what action precipitates, you know, like, what is it about this date that is especially important to the two characters where they're able to, like, articulate how they feel about each other? And to be like, oh, well, that could also be a story about somebody fighting dragons, but the plot points are not, they're, like, different things happen, but the weights that they're given and the ways that those things lead into each other are not that different. Mm Mm-hmm. So you are re- you're rewriting a story essentially oh God. that you've written a few times. How did you do? You do any sort of outlining for this? Because I know the yes. plot has changed a lot over the years. I do extensive outlining, and then I never look at it again, and then <laughs> I cry and do more outlining. And I'm definitely at the doing more outlining stage at this point. Um, <laughs> it's it's partially that my outlines, as Lucy can tell you, because when we work on our Clamp podcast, I tend to write these quote-unquote synopses that are really detailed. Um, (laughs) I have a really hard time figuring out how to nest things in an outline, like how to determine what is the most important thing and what follows from that. Like, I just really lose focus when I'm outlining and I end up outlining something that's not what I intended to because I'm really good at like taking this thing and running with it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this version, like, ooh, I have this idea and then I and then I'm I'm able to plot something out totally. Like have an outline that looks like a feasible book, but it's not the book I meant to outline. And so <laughs> yeah. the, I think like when we're talking about character driven versus plot driven stuff, if there's any problem that I'm having with this book, it's that I I'm a person who really likes plot-driven stories, but I'm a really character-focused like reader and writer where I'm really interested in the characters, but I'm not interested in them unless they're doing something interesting. So like I need there to be a definite plot where like a story with stakes and action happening. And I don't necessarily mean like action movie action happening. People don't need to be like jumping off of roofs and killing dragons. Mm-hmm. But I do need there to be, like, concrete, actual things happening in a story and not just characters thinking and feeling and not doing anything. Like, I want there to be stakes. (laughs) And I want there to be a plot. And this is, um, like, my book is, like, an urban fantasy story. So figuring out how to make a world that feels at once very grounded and familiar, but is also full of, like, a 
an entire magic community and rules for how ghosts work. Like, that is already a lot to get across in a book. And then to also <laughs> deep dive into two characters and then also have a plot is kind of a lot. And so I've gotten to the weeds with my outlines a lot. The problem that I'm having is that I have what I think is a really strong and interesting plot. I don't think it's too much, but I always think it's perfectly fine and then realize I need to scale back. Like every time I always have something that's too big to do in one book. So my worry is that if I re-outline, I'm going to discover that there is too much plot and I kind of need to focus in, but I really like this plot. And, I, and I'm and i worried that if I don't go as hard as I'm going, like if this story doesn't have as definite of stakes and as big of a, of a like existential threat, I'm worried that it will not be very publishable because it is such a hard sell anyway. And I'm like, oh, if I can get make sure that the urban fantasy magic part of it is interesting on its own, then that will help people get past the fact that the characters are actually pretty unconventional. Hmm. Because I'm so nervous about trying to do something that stands on the characters alone, when they're just, uh, how do I put it? They're not aspirational characters. Maybe they are a little bit, right? But they're not a character. Look, I think they are, like, for somebody who's inherently excited about ghost stories and stuff, you're like, yeah, this is cool. Um, But they're they're still not, like, they're not teen idols. Like, they're really not Mm -hmm. teen idols. And I think I may be overly self-conscious about this, but I know that so often when people pick up a book like this to read, it is to escape into a more interesting version of themselves. And I'm trying to do something where I'm actually being really grounded about who these people are. That they are people who are actually fairly ordinary who have this really extraordinary thing that they can do and that there's something where even in universe people are almost a little disappointed that these are the people that they're dealing with but that i'm the whole (laughs) point is that these characters are like really rich and deep and you can fall in love with them and watch them fall in love with each other but they're not what someone would expect in this situation like they're not ethereal like beautiful tortured souls doing ghost things they're really like down to earth kind of scrubby teenage boys and i i think that that's a lot of things i'm trying to balance we're like oh no there's a definite plot with like danger and a villain but also a plot that's being like you're you're really just in the points of view of the two main characters and they're not read in neither of them are perfectly read in read in on everything going on in the world so you're also getting to discover it through their eyes but one of them's keeping a really big secret from the other i think it's going to be fine lucy i think it's <laughs> going to be fine but i may need to do an outline because oh goodness i think it's the first chapter and it's 20,000 words <laughs> well i mean so i always <laughs> recommend people like Overwriting, it's much easier to edit down than it's it true. is to add in, especially if the plot elements aren't in something. Like it's it's not so hard to be like, oh, you need a scene at the mall where they actually talk about why he wears a baseball cap or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's I don't know what story I'm talking about, no. but um, you know, <laughs> you're your ghost hunter and his ghost hunter. He's still a ghost hunter. No, God. it's a ghost hunter. <laughs> I don't think he has a very important um, baseball cap or something. There's but no anyway, baseball caps in this story. <laughs> it's much easier to like. Be like, oh, this section here was really good for you to know, but we don't necessarily need it on the page. It's it true. Maybe be in a sequel. It's much easier to take that out and kind of rebuild it. It's not that it's, it's easy, but it's easier no, than it's being like, easier. well, I need an entire, you know, 50,000 extra pages here or words. God, not 50,000 extra pages. Oh, goodness. Words of extra plot that I didn't plan. Like, 
Yeah, if you write something you think is a story, but there is no plot, that is a lot harder to deal with than somebody yeah. saying, wow, this really plotty thing needs to remove some character moments because I can't sit down and read it because it's too long. Because this book cannot be 130,000 words or whatever, <laughs> like whatever it's going to end up being. I'm, I'm really self-conscious about it, though, because I, I had a former version of this that did go for 70,000 words, and it was only halfway through the plot. And I was like, oh, this cannot be. <laughs> so my hope yeah. is that this version, like, I do have a bit of an outline, and I do know where it's going. And my hope is that in this version, I'm like, okay – if it ends up being like 80,000 words, which is fine, like if it ends up being around that point and then I need to like add or subtract things, that's fine. I just am so nervous that I'm not going to be able to get through the whole plot that I want to do mm -hmm. and still get as deep into the characters. But I think that part of my worry about this is that like I forget that the beginning can take a long time. That the beginning yeah. of a book doesn't have to be super short. And then for a lot of books, you have a long beginning that kind of, and like the middle is less defined. It's, it's also that like a part of my soul really wants to do a very episodic ghost story thing <laughs> with the middle. And it isn't doing that because if I do that, that will really pull you away from the idea that there is like a specific goal in mind and a plot and an ending, which you can see that part of my brain is just so used to comics and other kinds <laughs> of like episodic storytelling that I even sort of feel driven to do that <laughs> with this well, project. I think you could always like, it would be cute to have a separate like short story anthology even that was about these characters having exciting ghost adventures or and like even if within the story they reference that that is going on like that they are having adventures that happen off screen it's true i can kind of gloss over that there's other stuff happening and the nice thing is like even with the ending that i have planned it's not like everything it's not like they lose their powers at the end and they can't ever do anything ever again like uh spoiler alert that is not I how guess. my story ends <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it's so I think it's just like, I'm so worried that I have only one shot to try to mm. tell people about this world. And I'm really emotionally invested in it. And it's kind of hard. Like, it's scary. Like, I'm a published author at this point, or, you know, certainly will be a published author when my book and my graphic novel actually comes out. <laughs> but it's still You're really nerve-wracking. I mean, you've had Yeah, I'm a published, published illustrator. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. But like... I really am emotional. I'm obviously, I've rewritten it a lot of times. I'm emotionally invested in this. And mm -hmm. I'm so scared about showing it to even my agent. I'm scared of putting it out there because a rejection for this will feel like something that I really care about actually being like taken away. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I'm like, I need to remind myself that, hey, that just means I have to do another take on it. I just yeah. want this to be the last take, though. I like, know, I want yeah. this to be ready to go. <laughs> And, and that's why I'm trying really hard to make sure it has a strong plot and that the characters are rich and interesting, because, again, I know it's kind of a hard sell in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I mean, I do think it's like we've talked on this this podcast before that, like, sometimes rejection just means something's not ready or there just isn't the perfect publisher for it at the moment. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that it won't live again later or something. But I do that's understand because... You've been doing this one on and off for so long, and I want to read it because I've read it on and off for so oh, long. Poor Lucy. <laughs> I want the finished version, but um, that just kind of makes it more exciting, too. Yeah, that's nice to hear. This version is definitely more succinct. Like, it is definitely working really well. I, I really like the voice or the voices that I've come to. And I'm pleased to let everybody know that I did manage to write this week. 
and that as I as I said before in our episode we discussed having multiple character perspectives and how maybe that maybe I can't actually go 20,000 words before introducing the other character's perspective <laughs> I did actually it's it, it's seamless now there's like a mm. perfect scene where he where you, I introduce the other character's perspective and it's perfect like you would think that I had known all along that it should go there <laughs> um and I really like it it was a scene I really enjoyed writing and I think I didn't dwaddle in it I'm pretty proud of myself because I think that I like it's literally a character being mopey and morose, and I think that I gave you enough of a hint of what that feels like without slowing the story down to a crawl right there. Like, that I got through a character moping and listening to music and being a big <laughs> emo pile of sad on his couch, but I think I managed to make that as, like, action-packed as it could possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Some of my favorite writing has been, like, scenes that I had to go back and insert and didn't even know what needed to go there and then was like, well, I guess I can have them do this because I need to explain this part about the world anyway. And then ends up feeling like I had planned that to be there to build everything up all along. <laughs> yeah, because it really was necessary. <laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me, speaking of that and the like alternating perspectives thing, I, I know I've talked to you about this before, but one experiment I did with, well, not experiment, but I don't know, thing I did with, a, with one of the stories I've been working on is I went back and I reread it all and, you know, reworked it, but only from one of the characters' perspectives because I wanted to nail down his voice correctly. And so I kind of reread my own story, but only from this perspective. Like, I'd skip the chapters that were from other characters. Oh, interesting. And yeah, it was a really interesting way of finding out, like, what... Well, it didn't, you know, necessarily find plot holes or whatever, but it really like helped me kind of zero in on some plot points and remind me what the story was and stuff and um, really helped me nail that voice because that specific character, like I wanted to, I just, he wasn't reading right to me and I wanted to make sure that in every scene he did feel like he was the character he was supposed to be. And I, it was a really interesting experience to just go back. And this thing is like 80,000 words. This was not a, it's not done. This was not a like, you know, quick endeavor. This took a long time. Um, but it was really interesting, especially since he's of the characters, the one that I don't connect with as much. I don't see his perspective as well. It's convenient, but I don't always like writing it. So that was a really interesting experience to just like d deep dive into one half of the story, basically. Yeah, definitely. I think that that was sort of like your method for what you did is great. Like, I will also kind of take that into account. Like, I'll take that to heart. We're like, oh, that's a great way to, like, get into a character is, like, only be in their perspective. What is the story <laughs> from from their point of view? Because um, just looking to what you've already written. But yeah, I, I did have to sort of just immerse myself in being like, okay, like, what was happening to the other character <laughs> at this moment? Um like what what on earth was going on like how can what matters to the reader that he's going through like how can i like mm. how can i introduce the things that are going to be a part of this character for the rest of the story in a way that doesn't detract from when the other character meets him for the first time so that's fun for me i think is that you you're going to get you're going to get to form a slight opinion about this character from the inside and then you're going to see him from the outside yeah, that's fun. And I realized I kind of did that a little with this thing I'm outlining now, where part of the decisions I made about like the other character was based on how she was seen from the short, like, perspective of the, the male character in the short story I did. And I was kind of trying to be like, okay, she seemed really like, 
you know, enthusiastic about this in this scene, what, you know, in her life was going on that made her really gung ho, like what yeah. was causing all this, you know, you know, what was leading to this? Cause it seems a little extra or whatever. So that led me to a lot of like realizations yeah. about her character. And that was really helpful. Yeah. Cause you're taking a character who might've been written for convenience to make the plot go, but also, like, when you're writing something from one person's perspective and it's a romance, there's a tendency for the other character to get a little objectified, right? Mm -hmm. For them to yeah. exist for the role that they play in the other character's life, that they're only mm -hmm. viewed as, like, how somebody else can enjoy them, as opposed to understanding why they are the way they are and why they act that way. And mm -hmm. it definitely, like, has made – there's some fiction out there that really falls flat for me because I can tell – that I'm like, oh, this is a romance, but one of these characters is a completely idealized version of a human being. Mm. And it's like, wow, it's like you wrote this romance, but one of the characters is your perspective, you, the writer's perspective character that is written for the reader to identify with, and the other person is just an ideal for them to idolize and fall in love with. And I'm like, I can't, I can't fall in love with an idol. Like, mm, I can only yeah. fall in love with a person, personally. Like, I need to see their humanity, not just the surface performance of, like, how they act and what they could possibly mean to me. Like, I need to know what they mean to themselves. And I really think that hearing that, where you're just like, yeah, like, why did the female character act this way? Like, what was going on in her life? And that that helps inform her plot for you. I'm just like, oh, God, that makes so much sense. Like, that's such a great way to approach her. So that she's yeah. not just, like, a perfect girlfriend or not. She's a person who acts certain ways because of the things going on in her <laughs> life and her own goals and ambitions and plans. I'm like, no, that's perfect. It's such a good way to, to like, avoid writing a really shallow relationship or a really lackluster character who exists just for, like, the reader to project onto. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one reason I've kind of really liked when I write from men's perspective, because it gets me out of me, and so it lets me kind of avoid the tendency, I guess, to kind of do that, like, reader insert, which is not always wrong, but um, I feel like I can fall into having a sort of more generic female character just because, you know, she's just kind of, not necessarily even me, but she's just sort of moving the plot along in a way that, like, most women will interact well with and i like being able to yeah kind of get just kind of you filling that. in the blanks yeah yeah and so i really like like the last few stories really i've worked on have had male characters more prominently and um i think this one has one male and one female the two alternating main characters and i'm really excited with how i'm developing well both of them but i think that i'm going to kind of avoid that pitfall with um the the main girl in this so i'm excited <laughs> yeah though that's really awesome and I, I know what you mean by kind of like switching up your perspective to someone who is less overtly relatable for you, that that can help you think about the story in a new way mm -hmm. and and break you out of acting like yourself and into and into writing a character who does things that help move a plot along in in a way that is like less pedestrian. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, like, if you're writing, like, well, what would I do in this situation? I'm like, mm, I wouldn't get involved because <laughs> I am busy and I can't go have a fantasy adventure right now. But yeah. that's a terrible book. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that could maybe be a wonderful book, but... Yeah, but still from a kind of, like, parody kind it's of... It's a very, yeah, it's a very different book. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think that probably does us for this one. 
Any closing thoughts you have or any concerns or anything? <laughs> uh, I just don't want to outline again. Maybe I don't have to. I'll probably Maybe give it a shot, to. though. <laughs> Knowing you, you work really well with outlines, as you were kind of saying. Like, you do really detailed outlines, so I'm guessing... Yeah, I don't think that's working well. Outline. I think that's overworking an outline, <laughs> uh, but that's <okay>. fine. <laughs> I don't know. It, you're very, like, it means that you're very prepared, and I'm more off the cuff, um, which is... It just probably describes our writing pretty well, too, I guess. I think it does. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to get this one to read a little bit less turgid and a little more off the cuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't think your writing reads as if it was, like, too prescriptive or something like that. I think just it's a different kind of, you know, I think technique. it can get there if I'm not careful. <laughs> All right, Lucy. <we'll> right. <laughs> I'll make you a deal. If you write for me, I'll write for you. It's a deal. Happy writing. Thank you.